Hello and welcome to Anti-Culture. This is season two, episode two of my podcast. I am your culturally ambiguous host, Josiah Sinanen, and you're currently joining me on my own adventure discovering culture and identity in mosaic societies across North America. This week, we're looking at a different geographical location that I haven't previously explored on the podcast, and I'm so excited to share it with you. We're actually traveling to the United States and talking about race and identity in a very different place, Hollywood, California. Now, if you're like me, when you hear Hollywood, it's hard to picture much apart from celebrity culture. It's easy to think of it as a place of the highest exclusivity possible. Anything goes, and everyone goes there to have a shot at fame. However, this interview challenges that. We'll be talking with my friend Joshua Hart, who is a casting producer of The Four, a game show on Fox in the United States that's become the most talked about show on social media this past year. If you're not in the know, the show is essentially a battle for stardom. However, it differs greatly from shows like American Idol or The Voice, in the sense that only four contestants compete on the show. And the contestants aren't just random people trying to make it. They actually must already be at a certain point in their careers professionally. So the show then takes them to the next level of professionalism with a record deal, etc., etc. Celebrity judges have included Fergie, Diddy, Megan Trainer, and DJ Khaled, to name a few, and Joshua is directly connected to all of them. And the show has skyrocketed in ratings, one of the best music-based game shows that's currently on television. So I realize that most people listening to this podcast are from Canada and probably haven't seen the show, but there is a very addicting amount of clips from the show on YouTube, and I'm so excited for this interview. Joshua is a really talented person, and we have such a funny story about how we met each other, which we're going to be getting into later. But just to give you a taste, Joshua has worked with Sierra and Mariah Carey as a background vocalist on tour with them. He did casting for The Bachelor 21. And one of the most amazing things that I found out Joshua did through this interview was that he actually worked with Queen Bee herself. That's right, he did A&R for Beyonce's Grammy performance when she was pregnant with the twins, which I think is amazing. I'm one degree away from Beyonce, technically. That's what I'm gonna tell myself. Joshua has his own music career as well. And a lot of our interview talks about how he has not settled for what the industry's asked of him. Instead, he continues to pursue his own sound unapologetically and without being in a box, and in the meantime, building his network through his other jobs. I wanted to talk to him about Hollywood because he has such a unique perspective, especially culturally. He is half African-American and half Mexican, and ironically, the only colored person involved with the four besides Diddy. I feel like I'm misunderstood a whole lot, and there are a lot of preconceived notions of what is cool to say around black people when it really ain't. According to Joshua, he has definitely experienced prejudice, even in the seemingly empowering environment of Hollywood. This episode is largely about following your dreams and how to stay intact with who you are as an individual while you do it. Beyond culture as a racial and national concept, this episode will also be exploring the culture of the entertainment industry and how it is navigated by the people in it. I'm so excited to share this episode with you, as I already said, 
and I hope that this gives you some insight into the fact that we all have assumptions about people. And I bet just with that intro alone, you already have an idea of what Joshua is going to be like. I would encourage you to listen with an open mind and be challenged by what he has to say. And before we get started, just as a disclaimer, there is some expletives in this episode. There's some bad language, which I did not edit out because I wanted Joshua to tell his full story. So if you're sensitive to some bad language, just know that that does happen in this episode. Beyond that, I'm so excited to share with you the other side of the camera in this very unique episode with Anti-Culture and our special guest, Joshua Hart. Enjoy. Well, I am a singer, songwriter, um, and now casting producer uh, that is originally from a small, small, small town in Michigan called Saginaw. And, uh, you know, music has been a, a big part of my life. And having that, you know, groundwork laid for me, you know, by my grandparents and my parents. Um, it allowed me to kind of, you know, take advantage of some really cool opportunities in my life. You know, I've had the opportunity of working with some uh, celebrities and singing background for uh, some folks, including Mariah Carey and Sierra. Um, I've written songs for some folks and have actually worked with some really amazing producers um, in the industry, uh, such as um, Dark Child, Polo the Dawn, um, Kwame. It's just been an amazing journey. Now I'm, yeah. I have the privilege of like ANRing this amazing show by the name of The Four on Fox. Of course, I'm the casting producer for that show. Amazing. And uh, this is my second season uh, working on the show. Such a great opportunity that you got being involved with this show. And I think it's such a unique concept because it's, it's artists that have already made a dent in the industry in some senses. It's not necessarily an American Idol. Can you unpack that a little bit more, what the premise is? Yeah, definitely. So this is nothing like American Idol. This is nothing like The Voice, you know. Um, there's uh, no spinning chairs involved, and we're not trying to mold and shape anyone into being, you know, what we believe the industry is missing. We are in the business of getting people to a platform who are the cream of the crop, the best of the best, right. who already have a sound, they've already put out music, maybe a music video or two, or maybe, you know, they don't have the means of all of that stuff out, but they just perform everywhere, or they have just an amazing voice, and, you know, those are the individuals who we are seeking after, you know, people who, you know, I have a couple of individuals who have sang background, or are currently singing background for, like, people like Jesse J, or... Um, J-Lo right, you know? wow. and you know they're constantly on tour sometimes they don't get that opportunity to shine right you know, for themselves right and this is what that competition is for this is for the next superstar not the next good voice not just the next artist but the hybrid of the two Just as a warning, if you don't know much about the show, I did want to keep the next bit in, which is talking a lot about the show itself and some of the contestants. So if you're a fan of the four, I wanted to leave this part in for you. And then I'm going to get into how I actually met Joshua in real life. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. The folks who I put on the show were Ash Miner, Saeed, of course, um, uh, 
Blair and Jason Warrior. Shout out, you know, shout out to my folks because those are actually really cool and good friends of mine. And shout out to Elanise, um, who was also one of the first uh, uh, members of the floor, even though I didn't uh, find her particularly. She is an amazing vocalist. And now we have season two that's going around and starting off again with the, with the first four, you know, I got Carlina Jones, who is an amazing vocalist. I've never been so excited to let the world see such a talent as she. She is the definition of anybody who I, like anybody in this industry, I feel like if you have aspirations of being anything, you know, study the greats. She's definitely studied the greats. She's made it her own. She is a great within her own right. Right. And I feel like now the world needs to hear it, and the world will now. And you guys, please tune in. Of course, in America, it's coming out June 7th um, on Fox. And, you know, it's the number one show on social media. So even if you're not in America, you know, more than welcome to look it up online. It's on Hulu. Find a way. All right, so especially those who know me already, you're probably wondering how the heck do I know this guy, this mystery man who's so involved in LA and the music scene and now on this show. And I have to share the story because it's one of my favorite nights ever. Me and Joshua met at a place called the Peppermint Club in West Hollywood last December. And ironically, I'm actually flying to Hollywood today, the day this episode comes out, and I'm hoping I can reconnect with him again. I'd flown to LA last December to see a concert I've been looking forward to for ages. This is not a joke, it was actually one of my favorite artists, sister musicians Ali and AJ. They had a special show playing songs from their new EP after 10 years of not releasing any music. So I had to fly down. And I love LA, I find the culture there super fascinating. And this experience that I had was actually a great one to have because it felt like such an LA experience. So the story is I got to this show super early, I got to the venue, because even though the Ali and AJ concert was free, I wanted to make sure I had a spot, so I ended up paying cover for the show that was beforehand. Shout out to Prince Charles, he was the artist before Ali and AJ and he put on this amazing show that packed out this tiny and trendy West Hollywood venue. The concert was incredible and I snuck my way to the front of the stage as it was ending so I could get my spot and that's where I met Joshua. So me and Josh start talking, we, we vibe immediately. I had no idea, but it turns out he's very good friends with Prince Charles, the artist who just performed. And if you haven't heard of Prince Charles, he is not a nobody. It's because he's recently gone solo, but he's super well connected as a writer in the R&B world. He has credits on Beyonce and Mary J. Blige tracks. And Joshua informed me that he was his friend after he ended up sticking around when the show concluded and he realized Ali and AJ were next, which he stayed for, of course. <laughs> the show is also amazing. Um, I got to hang out with the girls a bit backstage. I got to know Joshua more. And I also connected with a co-writer who penned most of Halsey's Americana album. Yeah, I actually couldn't believe my life. I met so many famous people. There was a slew of other celebrities who were friends with Ali and AJ and I just felt, I felt like somehow I had stepped into the Mecca of a local celebrity hangout. <laughs> so my experience in LA the following days were incredible. And I know kind of the opposite of the stereotype is what happened to me, but I literally found that everyone that I talked to was incredibly kind, curious, and fun. And I was so excited to stay in touch with Joshua because he was unapologetically himself, and I knew he had worked hard to get to where he was. 
I know there's so many people in LA like that, and I hope the stereotype does continue to break down because at the end of the day, though our motivations can become corrupt, so can anyone else's. We're all trying to make it in one way or another. We all crave significance. And I think with hard work, we do get to reap the benefits. I don't know a ton about this culture, but I thought it would be so cool to bring you guys a sneak peek by talking to Joshua. And I wanted to know how he got where he ended up as many who traveled to Hollywood to grow their careers in the entertainment industry. So how did this guy from Saginaw get to a place to one day work for Beyonce? Let's jump back in. Well, it really started off with my own uh, career. Um, I've sang background for a lot of people, and I've worked with a lot of people, including a lot of bands. Keeping good relationships is very important in this industry, and it's very, you know, it's a very small industry. Um, so, uh, I was just working, um, you know, building up my own, I guess, resume. And I also have been casting shows for some time as well. Okay. I've had like three and a half years. So this, so before isn't my first show. I've actually uh, um, put and uh, casted for the, uh, the Bachelor 21. Okay. Uh, um, I've also worked with um, Beyonce uh, for her Grammy performance when she was pregnant with the twins. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Uh, I've worked uh, with uh, Frank Ocean uh, for a music video that was unreleased, um, but it was still an amazing experience. That's incredible. Um, and those are just those are just some of the things that I've done, you know. So it's been uh, kind of like just that next opportunity that came about. Right. And no one knew what the floor. No one knew what the floor was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this show did not have Diddy and Khaled and Megan Trainer. Right. Charlie Walk at the time and Fergie involved. You know, no one was involved. This whole show was supposed to be a whole bunch of Charlie Walks, meaning in the sense of, or a whole bunch of Simon Cowles, in the sense of we don't know who they are in the industry. Okay. Influential. People know who, you know, the people in the industry know who they are because they're, you know, kind of like these gatekeepers and they know what they're talking about. So let's put them before amazing artists to keep the focus on the artists. Okay, you know? I like that. However, you know, Directions change, and they change for the good, you know. Uh, the show was slated to air, and I'm giving y'all all the tea, by the way. <laughs> the I'm excited, yeah, give us, a, was, give us everything. The, the show was slated to air around um, January. Okay. And um, we didn't have any judges, like, until December. Okay, wow. The end of November the end of November, but we, but we've been casting this show for eight months prior to that. So this show was actually a derivative of another show. And I believe, and guys don't quote me if I'm wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I believe it's like, um, Dubai or something like that. This okay. show was like in Arabia or something like that. Something around like the Middle East type of deal. Okay. And it was a hit. It was a hit. People loved it. And uh, they wanted to bring it to America. And so, uh, hence we put our own spin to it. Uh, and now it is this amazing opportunity, platform, showcase that we now call The Four on Fox. 
Yeah, that is incredible. What, a, what an opportunity to be involved with something like that. And I had no idea your extensive resume beforehand. That's incredible. Can't believe we crossed paths. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy how we crossed paths. It was at the, it was at the Peppermint Lounge. Yeah, the Peppermint. Um, which was like, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was bomb. That was amazing. Such a good um, night. Like, yeah, like some pretty great artists. And like, I don't know, we just vibe, dude. It was great. Well, I, I'm so curious, like, what is your journey? Because obviously coming from small town Michigan, how does one come from there and then get to work with Beyonce one day? <laughs> what's what's your secret? Right. <laughs> well, well, not much a secret. It's just like that. I've, I've been willing this into my life for a long time, you know? Right. Um, I, I really know what I've wanted to do which is always be in the entertainment industry and really be a singer. You know, that was really my, yeah. my goal. And, um, you know, I've accomplished that in various ways. And I'm still, you know, climbing that ladder on a daily basis on the independent route. You know, right. I was one son with Warner Brothers through another label. And, you know, I just got shelved. You know, they wanted me to, to be the next Chris Brown. And it was already out. It was already done, you know. I think it was on like his second album or something like that at the time. And I'm just like, how does that make any sense? You know? Right. But um, I decided to just become a writer at that time and really work on my own craft. And I dabbled into rock and alternative music because I really wanted to do something else. Um, I felt slighted that I was, a, you know, black in the industry and they just wanted me to do some black shit. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And not that R&B is know just one culture or one race even though the african-american culture definitely spearheads it right so, um, in that sense in various other genres i would say as well um i just feel like I, to them that's who i was right and I didn't like that. so I, I, I wanted to shake that up and i wanted to do you know something else and i said who was the, who else in the african-american you know, industry, genre, whatever, you know, did something else other than R&B and, and, and hip-hop, and I said, Lenny Kravitz. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I decided to, like, channel in my inner Lenny, I guess, and, um, you know, just decided to kind of, like, go about that and really captivate what that meant to be, I, I guess, to myself, like the quality of what that means to be an artist. So I really studied behind a lot of people, um, mentors of mine, um, and uh, having those experiences really just kind of put me in the position. Right. Because if you don't have the quality to show what you do, then who cares? You know, to be honest with you, you're just, it's just talk. But I feel like Nowadays, you really do have to have some show. Like, you really do have to have something to show, yes. I, I like to say. To really captivate people along with what you've done. Because, don't get me wrong, what people do in this life, it doesn't depreciate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. However, it's great to be innovative, to learn how to captivate people, to make them want you on, on their team, to be honest with you, or to keep your demand high. Right. So, that's what I did. 
you know, even though I wasn't, you know, top of charts, you know, as a solo artist, I have music videos that are out, by the way, I have music videos that are out, they're on YouTube, more than welcome to uh, check that out, and I put out music videos, and I paid for that, Yeah. you know, and, and that was tedious, you know, that took a lot of time, and, but I made sure that I wasn't anxious and I just put out anything to right. where when I did try to connect with the right people that they're looking at my stuff and they're like, oh, man, this is, this is all right. Your resume doesn't match with this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I took my time and I just connected with the right people, made the right relationships, stayed professional at all times. Even though it's cool to let down your hair because this is a cool industry to be in, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No. Um, at the end of the day, composure is good to keep your composure. Totally. Uh, be humble and know why you're doing this. Be focused. And if you're doing this to be famous and do it for money or whatever, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're not really going to like succeed. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, definitely. You know, That's you'll good. probably, yeah, like you'll succeed in a sense. I'm sure maybe you'll catch a wave, but it won't last, you know? Um, and yeah, you know, at the end, at, at the end of the day, I mean, not to lie, you know, yes, I do want some notoriety for what I do. Of course, yeah. yeah. But that's but not your drive, is what you're saying. Yeah, no, my drive is to change lives by that opportunity, which is why I've also expanded, you know, the things that I do, you know, with creative directing and also now A and Ring the show for the Fox. Yeah. Uh, uh, for Fox is before. I didn't just stay in one lane. Yeah. My goal is really to help other people. And maybe, you know, the universe is allowing me to go through these things literally so I can give people the keys. You right, know, but right. I'm going to enjoy the journey every step of the way and have a better perspective on it and not get better to say, oh, well, that could be me. Not, well, yeah, it could be me, but then, you know, it's not right now. Yeah. And that's, that's still okay. That's part of my journey. I wanted to keep most of that discussion in because I think it's such an important perspective to listen to the way Joshua talks about his own life. He has accomplished so much, and I think he's had a conversation that not a lot of people allow themselves to have. From the beginning, he knew what he wanted to do, and he went for it. He willed it into his life. And now that he's here, his perspective isn't one of shock or disbelief. Instead, it's pointed and known and he has positioned himself to help other people get the keys to their own lives. This confidence in himself is something I think we can all develop when we learn more about who we are. Joshua gets more into the challenges he faced getting into this spot shortly, but I just love that even with his music career, he challenged the boxes that people put him in as he's pursued his own dreams. And actually as a result, his independent music career has stayed independent. But he's chosen to stick with where he wants to be, despite the cultural expectation that Hollywood built around him. And he still faces that challenge today. You touched on it a little bit earlier, um, but I did want to focus a lot on cultural identity and what that looks like, especially in the industry you're in. And I imagine, um, I think obviously in the music industry, there's definitely a very powerful and incredibly culture-shaping um, African-American presence in music. However, now that you're kind of more doing this show, it's a little bit of a different industry. Have you felt 
your cultural identity clash in that industry? Or what's been your experience in Hollywood being African-American? Well, my experience um, has been... Well, first, I'll say that this industry really is a tough industry to break. Yeah. So let's just get that out of the way. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not blaming it on my race or blaming it on anything. Yeah. No, at, at all. Because at the end of the day, if you're dope, you're dope. You know, and and even dope people have a hard time being heard. You know, it's all about now like statistics and labels want to see that. You know, it's going to work for them through the numbers that you're already producing. But then at the same time, it's a conflict of interest because it's like, how are the people supposed to know that they like it if, they don't, if they're not exposed to it? Right. You know? So, you know, that's kind of the thing. But when it comes to culture part of it in this industry, especially where I'm in right now in film, it is like you do have to prove yourself a lot harder. And there are things that I have to reiterate to people constantly, right. whereas my other counterparts don't have to do so. I feel like I'm misunderstood a whole lot. Okay. Um, um, and there are a lot of preconceived notions of what is cool to say around black people when it really ain't. Uh, you know, just because you want to be cool with the culture doesn't mean that you are the culture. It doesn't mean that you get to express the culture. And it just doesn't mean that. You know? Right. It means that you can respect. It means you can respect the culture. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to be all tight ass about it either. But at the same, but at the same time, you can't tell me, for instance, oh yeah, Ryan Leslie is a hip hop artist, and I'm telling you he's not. He's an R&B artist. Where? What? Ryan Leslie? And you want to argue me down and swear up and down. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well, first of all, you don't know. Like, that's not accurate. And right. second of all, why do I have to continue to reiterate myself over something that I was hired as a specialist in? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You guys, me for a, you guys hired me for this, but now you're questioning me on some shit that I'm telling you I'm an expert in. Now, as a little disclaimer before we get into this next part, Joshua does get really candid about his experience with The Four, which, as a journalist, I thought was awesome. I'm not sure what the repercussions will be by showing this, but I want you guys to pay attention to the perceptions that Joshua is feeling and possibly where they might stem from. I imagine in the hustle and competitive environment of the industry that it can be very hard to trust people and a bit difficult to know where their judgments are coming from, but I think that Joshua likely has a good understanding of where his feelings are stemming from and why. So I would encourage you to try and see past the emotion in this next part and try to hear where Joshua's thinking is originating from. But now season two has come about, I'm just gonna flex a little bit. I got a whole bunch of people on season one, okay? A whole lot. Yeah. And a lot of them, and, and a lot of them were fan favorites, okay? So when they asked me to come back, yes, I raised my price because I felt like I came in right. low price. So I had to raise my price, and they honored that. That was cool. Um, it wasn't what I – I didn't even give a number. I just wanted to see what they were going to do. By the way, I'm not greedy. <laughs> so it's not about – I'm not. It's, it's, it's not about that. But oh, I'm I don't get that at all, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we live in 2018, and I live in Los Angeles. So it's not cheap. This is a whole network. 
you know, y'all have the money, and I would like to receive my just share. Not, of course, nothing wrong with that. I'm not asking for a million gazillions, but, you know, just just share. And I felt like, you know, in this industry, there are things that you have to prove. So with the price that they gave me, I was okay with. I said, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm still an expert in this area. Right. My bosses, let's just clarify this shit. My bosses are bombs. So my bosses are amazing. Shout out to City Media Group, all right? Um, I felt like some of my coworkers, though, everybody has a different workflow, and I felt like, you know, sometimes everybody's able to work in environments where there's a whole bunch of people. I'm not, you know. A lot of the people who I'm reaching out to are personal relationships. Right. They're heads of labels. They are the lead VP, A&R, or whatever. They tour with Kendra Lamar. They tour with blah, blah, blah. They just got a placement with whoever. And that requires a certain amount of respect to where I'm not going to have Lucy Lou or Jay Doe in the background, you know, cursing. Like, that's unprofessional. Yeah. You know? So, but because I do that often and I like to just honestly work in a quiet environment, I kind of separate myself from the group. There's a studio that you're able to record at. at okay. Headquarters at ITV. And so I go in the studio, and I just kind of like work in that environment. Sometimes I do come out because I do want to have that camaraderie and team effort, but I feel like sometimes they tend to throw me under the bus, like when maybe my bosses come out and say, hey, where's Joshua? And they're like, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I don't know where she is. Oh, it's me. I don't know. <laughs> Girl, you know what the fuck I am. I'm working, all right? I'm out here getting the fan favorites. That's what I'm doing. Right. Okay, I'm out here getting the the, the, the first four content, the contenders, not just contestants, honey. Okay? The faces of the show, that's who I'm getting. Right. What are you doing with your Tuesday? <laughs> Other than, you know what I'm saying? Totally, and I yeah. Clap like that. I, I could totally clap back like that, but I never do. I never do. Because you know what? It's, I'm just going to look like the angry black guy. I'm going to look like, you know, I'm going to look like the guy who's got attitude. Oh, why are you feel some type of way? Why are you bothered? If it's, and in all uh-huh. actuality, it's really disrespectful for you to do that. You right. can have my back to the team and say, I'm not sure. He's probably on the call. That's a lot I'm to navigate. I'm not sure. He probably went to lunch. You know? And is, is the... Like really simple. Are your coworkers, is it a primarily white, like, cast and crew for the four? How would you... Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't want to mention that, but yes, I am the only black guy in my office. Okay. So. That's crazy. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. You know, exactly. And it, and, it, and it becomes very irritating when it's just like, I get it, you know, everybody wants to do a good job, but first of all, we're all on the team, and nobody should be throwing anybody under nobody's bus, honey, because yeah. I don't and I don't do bus. So, <laughs> you're going to throw me... If you're going to throw me under something, throw me under something elegant. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like I would for you, like seriously, meaning that like, for instance, if someone's talent came in and they were like, oh, they did a good job. Uh, whose talent was that? And I knew that it was your talent. I would say, oh, that's such and such a right. talent. Good job. Right. You know, not try to like defame you, belittle you. Um, yeah. Stuff like that, that whole catty stuff, I'm over. And then also, just to kind of move on, there are situations where I feel like I've proven myself the first season that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, 
and I know that there is a hierarchy of things of like, and there is, you know, there's, it goes through me, then my boss, then the executives at, 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 um, at Fox, including Miss Lorianne Gibson and Diddy. Yeah. And then, and then it gets the, the green light. Right. I don't, I feel like because I'm, there are just certain people who I know are amazing. If I put a star next to their name, they should just go to the executives and Diddy and Lorianne and them make that decision. I don't think I should have to go through the tier of people in my office sometimes and I'll explain why. Not because I'm a rebel. Uh-huh. But because, but because, and I won't name a name, but for this season, even season two, a very important person was knowed in our, in our um, profession. Yeah. Meaning they were not a good fit for the show. Okay. And, and, and it wasn't anything bad or anything. It's just sometimes we're looking for something very specific, you know? Right. But this particular person, they were out of their mind. I said, are you kidding me? What do you mean? I don't, I don't understand that. A no? Long story short, the only reason why they were a no is because two, only, I think, one of the four executives watched her. And why did that happen? Exactly. I don't know. Huh. And that, that to me, is a, is a kind of a, a wrench in the system. Right. Because if we're so busy, and I, and I get it, again, I'm putting all this in the context of everyone is busy as fuck. So everyone has stuff they're doing. Like, we're not just sitting on our behinds all day. We're literally in meetings daily. Right. You know, we are working with big budgets and pressure daily. So... We just have to always kind of like be on it. And yes, some things do slip to the cracks, but I feel like when it comes to pitch and when it comes to talent and utilizing everyone's like personal, you know, uh, personal uh, type of information, um, I feel like if they're using, I don't know, if I'm using like my personal connections, I don't want my connections to feel like I'm not getting back with them with an uh, answer or with any type of like yeah, of course. as what we previously discussed. So it's kind of like, what's the point of me extending my contacts, my brand, my name, if not all the executives are even going to listen? Right. You know? And needless to say, when they finally did listen to this particular young lady, they loved her. Right. They put her on the show. So there's a hurdle that I'm still climbing. Um, and do you think that's just do you think that's just the culture of the industry, or do you think there's something more to that? No, I think it's because I'm black and I'm a male, and I'm and I seem like I, I look very good for my age, and people think I'm young and don't take me serious. Okay, wait how um, old, how old are you? Can we have that on the record? I'm young. Okay. I'm about that age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm young. Very young. Yeah. Very youthful. Ambrosia. <laughs> okay, no, so... I'm 31. Okay, which is young for the industry. It's young for the industry, it is. Um, and, but, not when it comes to your bosses who are like in their 40s. Right. In their 50s. So, 
to, to them, I'm just kind of like, oh, this kid, whatever. He's goofy. Whatever. Huh. Whatever. But then the same, a person of a Caucasian, you know, right. descent comes in with the same attitude, but they get hurt. They get yeah. taken seriously. Yeah. I listen to what Joshua was saying, and it makes me wonder how much of this is really about race and how much of it is about age. Now, I think it is very difficult to tell how old Joshua is if you see his Instagram, at Joshua Hart. But I think, in any case, as a person of color, you always need to ask yourself if there's something more to the story, even if it's difficult to know. Now, I do apologize for how emotional and long-winded that section got, but I think it was important to hear what was really behind Joshua's thinking and also behind his feelings in this workplace where he is the only person of color in the office. This is happening in Hollywood. I want us to remember that. This is a very progressive, culture-forward place, in our minds anyway. And I think that this perspective is something that needs to be shown. Joshua has really accomplished a lot in his life and he still faces these feelings that he's not really being considered the same way that his colleagues are. I don't know if this experience is universal, but I certainly found it interesting, especially given the context of being in Hollywood and being in the entertainment industry. I wanted to wrap things up with Joshua on a bit of a lighter note, so I hope you enjoy the remainder of my interview with him. Do you think this is... This is a common experience in the industry. Like, is there, do you think there's a lot of people like you that are the only minority in sets like this or in these type of environments? Do you think there's a lot of people that face what you do? Have you heard that? Is that a discussion that you're having? Well, I mean, I really don't have those type of discussions. I don't have time to um, yeah. be honest. You know, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going to climb my ladder and eventually be my own boss. So that is my goal. I don't, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because at the end of the day, it's an accolade for me. Yeah. You know, it's something that I did. It's another thing that my, that I was able to overcome and still, still come out as on, like number one on top. Absolutely. Yeah. Because as much as the people in my office are talking, whatever they're talking about me saying, whatever they're saying or not supporting me in whatever ways, guess what? My name is still at the end of the credit on every show. Yeah. And and I'm still getting the fan favorites for the network. This is my second season. Right. I'm going to say that again. This is my second season getting one of the starting four figures on the show, which means this is my second season getting another face of the show making this network a success. So whatever they have to say, they can't say that. I know that. Yeah, congratulations on that. That's well-deserved. I think Thank you. You're welcome. And I think there's there's such an underappreciation or misunderstanding because it's you are, you're killing the game, you're doing what you need to do, and I think you're really living out who you are, and I really appreciate that. But I think there's a hidden, there's a hidden thing that's going on that people don't really notice, and it's the navigation of all this because you obviously have frustrations with how you're perceived and prejudice that probably still exists without people even knowing it does. And you have to, you have to hold those thoughts to yourself and choose to push forward. Also because there's always that fear of buying into this stereotype that shouldn't even exist of being, you know, that emotional, that emotional black guy. Oh, that young guy has such attitude. 
whatever the label is, you are constantly aware of those navigations. Yeah, I mean, and it's very tiresome. I'm not going to lie, because sometimes I just want to say something, and that's what I say, and that's it. But I have to remember who I'm speaking with, make sure that my tone is in a certain way. Right. That I'm not perceived. I always have to be on. And not just in the sense of being a... Not, I'm not talking about in the sense of being a professional. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm always a professional. It's about when in those situations where my voice needs to be heard and where I need to stand firm and what I believe in, that's where stuff gets complicated. Right. And have you had experiences where you have voiced that and it's been received well? Well, I've had, I mean, I think everyone has a tactic and mine for this show was always to push forward. Here Joshua goes on a little bit of a story about what happens when he tried to push forward a specific guest that he couldn't name and how the judges took so long to get through to it even though he knew that one of them was interested in the guest that he'd brought forward. I did want to stop there though and just talk about the concept of everyone having a tactic. I think he understood my question at first and then brought it into a different type of example but I'm curious do you have a tactic for dealing with this kind of issue in your own life if you're feeling prejudice in any kind of way, whether it's age, race, or something completely different? I would love to hear. Go on Facebook, Anticulture with Josiah Sinanin, or at Josiah Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. That's my discussion for this week. Well, I'm curious, um, kind of going back to your roots, because you said you grew up in Michigan. Do you think... Was there a perceived difference that you felt between Michigan versus Los Angeles in terms of race and culture? Did you feel like there's a difference between the two places? Or what's the general, how was your experience in both areas? Well, I moved from Michigan to Atlanta. Okay, right. And that's where the biggest culture shock was for me. Okay. Um, being so predominantly uh, African-American, it was just, uh, it was amazing. I learned a lot, you know, as well, um, and moving from, I guess, Atlanta to L.A., L.A. is cool. Um, it's super diverse. Yeah. Very diverse. It's so diverse, and I love that. Um, you can literally get everything here. You know, even though there are certain things that I wish I could merge Atlanta with L.A., like maybe the club scene and the DJs and the music, um, um, meaning that, you know, I feel like if L.A. had a little Atlanta flavor, it would right. be like, what? <laughs> but, you know, it's all good. I appreciate L.A. for what it brings. Now, growing up in Michigan with your background, too, did did you have a point in time where you can remember your parents having the talk with you, the talk about color and how people perceive you? And were you prepared for that, do you think, in the culture that is America right now? I mean, I didn't know no better. Right. You know, it, just, it just was daily, a daily conversation. Right. You know? Don't go in here acting like X, Y, and Z because they will perceive you this way. You can't do this because they're going to look at you like this. You got to dress like this. Don't go in there dress like... It was like the rules. Right. You know? But as a kid, you don't understand it. 
until you really start experiencing it. Mm. When you, as you get, you know, as you become older, in your social settings, whether it's in middle school, whether it's in, you know, you're not getting invited to that high school party with the white friends, right. you know, because you know, it's just, it just, those things become just more clear why your parents were telling you why right. they were telling. You. Which is unfortunate. You know, I don't feel like any kids should have to be coached on how to interact socially. Yeah. Regarding your, regarding your color, you know. Yeah. You should be coached regarding manners, but not how to act in front of certain cultures to yes. not be perceived as something that you know you're, you are. And that was definitely that is definitely a conversation that happens in the African-American community mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Do you think parts of that were catalysts for you pursuing success? Oh, definitely. Um, just knowing... <laughs> I'm going to just speak so clear right now. I mean, just knowing what white people want to hear. Yeah. Straight up. I mean, there's a certain way that you talk. A certain way. I mean... And it's so funny, in the African-American culture, we call ourselves, like, bilingual, in a sense, <laughs> where we we have our own conversations and our own yeah. jargon, our own jargon is, that's very well understood, that, of course, is taken, you know, culturally appropriated on several different levels, yeah. every day, and we never get the credit for it, but then there's a certain way when you get in front of your, your, your white friends that you converse yeah it even comes down to your boss like if i had a black boss or a boss of color i would like to say i can joke with them <laughs> or say certain things that has nothing to do with race or nothing yeah that they'll get but if i did that i would not feel comfortable doing that with them right okay, gonna be and it's partially because i feel like they would not get it i yeah. feel like Caucasian race <laughs> sometimes and now i'm probably gonna get in trouble but i feel like <laughs> Some folks in the Caucasian race, I'm not, I'm not speaking, I cannot speak for anybody. Of First course. of all, let's say this, even when it comes to, even when it comes to the African American culture, you can't speak for everybody. No. But there are these generalizations and these like perceptions, maybe that I've experienced in my life that have, that may be true for most, than not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Good clarification. Yeah. Um, and you know, it just seems like the Caucasian experience will never mirror the Latino experience, the African American experience. It will never mirror it ever, mm-hmm. ever, never. Mm-hmm. Even the Asian experience. Yeah. There's just shit that y'all not gonna understand. You're not gonna get it. You're not gonna get why it feels unfair to us because you don't know. You you haven't experienced that for right. generations. You know, with people having pulling you aside to have conversations. I don't know, maybe what kind of conversations y'all have. You know, I would like to know. Maybe that would enlighten me. Right. You know, um, but for me and how I grew up, you know, there were conversations that I had to have and conversations of why I couldn't date a girl because her mom didn't want me to date her daughter because I was black. Right. Yeah, that's happened to me. Right. I'm in middle school. Me and this girl actually like each other, and our parents don't want us to date. That's yeah. not cool. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's actually, it's so funny you say that because obviously I'm biracial and I've always just like, I like how you said bilingual because (laughs) I have also been very aware of that. There's very different family gatherings when we're on my mom's side or my dad's side and I find it kind of humorous, but I also think it gives, it gives you this level of perception that's kind of above it all because you're perceiving like, yeah, you do need to know like different nuances for different people, but I think it really improves your social skills. I think there's a benefit in that. Like, I don't think, I don't think white people even think about it that way. I think they're just like, oh, this is the way things are. And so either this person is strange because they're not like this or, um, or they're like we are. And I don't think there's an understanding of, Hey, there's actually different experiences and it's okay. And like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. And I 1000% agree with what you're saying. I feel like it's just, again, it's a perception. And I feel like if we as a people of Earth, because we are from one freaking planet, yeah. we're all from planet Earth. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, yes, 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 there are details about every one of us. But if we look at it as we're humans and we're a, a humanity that has a whole ecosystem to protect and that there's a better way of doing even how we drive and how we consume, uh-huh. you know, if we can expound our minds to accept other things, we'll be all right. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and and, and I feel like, again, everybody's different, mm-hmm. but I feel like when it comes down to it, every other race is willing to cooperate except some of the Caucasian mm-hmm. race. It's just, it's always the, a wedge always in the center of it and I don't understand it yeah and I'm not generalizing anybody but these are just the the powers that be yeah you know the individuals that that are in power yes there have been corrupt African-American leaders and especially in Africa right with slave trade or whatever but then you have to ask yourself where did they get it from (laughs) totally yeah who were they working for who were they working for you know but we ain't gonna go into that today (laughs) yeah I mean I even you know what I'm saying Uh, yeah, just reflecting, because it's one thing to talk about race in that way, but it's also like we need to understand that individuals have their own culture. Like, I can't identify a specific thing that I am necessarily, but I have my own story. It's it's irregardless of my blood. It's irregardless of my, my races, you know? And I think exactly. moving forward, we have to have that understanding. Um, otherwise, it's just not going to work. And there's going to be more division and microaggression that leads to horrible decisions. And yeah, it's just sad to see, especially kind of having my foot in both places. You know, like there needs to be more discussion about that. We all have our own story. We also need to just stand out front and say... We don't have an issue with anyone. Exactly. I think that I think our I think our generation and, and the ones that are coming up, they like we get it. There is don't nobody got a problem with nobody else because of race. Like what? Yeah, exactly. Eighteen hundred. Like who's talking about that right now? <laughs> yeah. That is us. We're on. We're we're talking about energy consumption. Like that's what we're on. Like we want to preserve the earth. Right. Like, that's what we're at. We want to clean the oceans. We want to clean the air. We want to get rid of using gas so much. 
you know, and fossil fuels and coal, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to undo what Trump is trying to redo. We're trying to refix that. Right. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, there are those people who just haven't jumped on the bandwagon of understanding that everyone is connected um, to see the bigger picture. Um, so, you know, as I go through the challenges of being African-American and, you know, being, you know, all these different things in my field that I'm the only person that represents that or whatever, I'm not going through my mind and my day with that mentality. I'm going through, I'm going to be the best. And I'm going to deal, and I'm going to deal with those things accordingly as they come and understand for peace of mind to know how I can react what it is, I can identify it, and like you said, being a part of those type of environments and being, you know, um, ex- you know, experienced in those different cultures, you know how to deal with, with different people. And even dealing with different people, regardless of their race, you know how to deal with different people. So it's all, it all works for your good. And I think, again, as long as people stay focused on what they're focused on in a positive way, as long as what you're focused on is positivity and making yourself better, that's what's going to shine. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a byproduct. And Absolutely. That's going to show off your experience. That's, what's, that's what people are going to remember, and you're going to shed a different light and perspective on whatever you're trying to do based off of your own personal action, and that's what I do every day. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Anti-Culture. I apologize that this episode was a bit longer than usual, but I wanted the full spectrum of myself and Joshua's conversation to be on display. I think how things ended really wrapped up some great points. As always, I try to make this show as unbiased as possible with my own comments, so I'm curious to hear your responses to the discussion Joshua and I had this week. You can join the discussion online, as always, through any social media streams, at Josiah Podcast. Joshua is a great follow to make as well. All his information, music, fashion, the four can be found on his personal accounts at Joshua Hart. That's H-E-A-R-T, like your heart, not like Kevin Hart, as Joshua told me earlier. Stay tuned with the podcast as we have a lot more coming for you this season. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanin, and thank you for listening to Anti-Culture. Anti-Culture.